0: Imagine, if you will, put yourself in this position. Just imagine the God of the universe, the creator of heaven and earth. He has come to speak with you, and he says to you, ask, what should I give you? Hmm, How would you answer that question? The God of the universe, the one who has everything, literally, has everything, comes to you and says, ask, what should I give you? Well, we're going to talk about that today on Faith Is with Pastor Rick Stevens. I am Pastor Rick Stevens, and we want to talk about how would we respond when God would say something like that to us, and a few other kind of things today. So welcome to the program. Glad you could spend some time with us. We're going to walk through this really fascinating story in the scriptures where God asked that question. You know, a lot of us, all right, I see you, I know, a lot of us, we spend too much time begging God for things, thinking somehow he's withholding from us. And so the prospect of him coming along and saying, ask, what should I give you is just a little more than we know how to wrap our heads around but it happened for real to one man. Story is in the Bible, and we need to contemplate what it is that we might do in such a situation, but even more than that, much more than that, what can we learn from what's going on in this story? Well, thanks again for joining us. We're going to start in First Kings chapter 3. We're going to read through that passage, and we're going to figure out what happened here, and then talk about some of the implications of that. It's really quite, quite an amazing story. So we've been tracing the story of, of Israel, God's people, and we've watched a number of things happen over the last several weeks, and including a little bit about the reign of King David, particularly about his really serious mistake, sin, with Bathsheba. And now we take another turn in that story, and King David has died, and he has passed the kingdom along to Solomon, his son. And so we're going to take up the story of Solomon as he assumes the throne and begins to discover, try to figure out, look for help on what it means to be king. And so the story that gives us real insight into the beginning of those days comes from 1 Kings chapter 3, and we're going to pick the story up in verse 3. I'm going to read today from the New International Version, lots of good English translations. We'll talk about some of the other ways, some of the other ones, word things in this story, but this will give us a good beginning to understand what's going on here. Solomon showed his love for the Lord by walking according to the instructions given him by his father David except that he offered sacrifices and burned incense on the high places. The king, now referring to Solomon, the king went to Gibeon to offer sacrifices, for that was the most important high place, and Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon during the night in a dream, and God said, ask for whatever you want me to give you. Solomon answered, You have shown great kindness to your servant, my father David, because he was faithful to you and righteous and upright in heart. You have continued this great kindness to him and have given him a son to sit on his throne this very day. Now, Lord, my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father David, but I'm only a little child and do not know how to carry out my duties. Your servant is here among the people you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to count or number. So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong. For who is able to govern this great people of yours? The Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for this. So God said to him, Since you have asked for this and not for long life or wealth for yourself, nor have asked for the death of your enemies, but for discernment in administering justice, I will do what you have asked. I will give you a wise and discerning heart so that there will never have been anyone like you, nor will there ever be. Moreover, I will give you what you have not asked for, both wealth and honor. So that in your lifetime, you will have no equal among kings. And if you walk in obedience to me and keep my decrees and commands as David, your father did, I will give you a long life. Then Solomon awoke and he realized it had been a dream. He returned to Jerusalem, stood before the ark of the Lord's covenant and sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings. Then he gave a feast for all his court. So this is a pretty familiar story, and when it starts with the idea that God comes along and asks Solomon, what would you like me to give you, then we kind of get a clue that we've heard something about this before, and a lot of us have heard this story, and about how Solomon became king and became known as the wisest man who ever lived. And we want to walk through that story and try to understand what's going on here so that we can get some insight into our own lives, not just in the asking, not just in the response to what should I give you, although, you know, we ought to think about that. And um, we ought to take that seriously because God is not selfish. And God is not reluctant to help his people. Maybe what we need to think about is how do we ask God for what God wants to give us? That sort of seems like what Solomon did, doesn't it? So let's take a look at the story. It's much more in this story. It's much more than the kind of silly story that we sometimes talk about. You know what the one I'm talking about, where the guy's walking along the beach and he finds um. A bottle and lo and behold there's a genie in that bottle and and um out pops the genie and says i'll give you three wishes and you know as children a lot of us have thought well what would we ask for we had three wishes then we get a little older and we realize that well we would ask as one of those wishes we would ask for an infinite number of wishes so we'd never run out of wishes well that's where that s- story becomes kind of fun but kind of uh, unreal, but it's real when God comes to Solomon and offers to give him whatever he asked for. So the story starts, and it frames the, the situation in the sense that Solomon is declared in, in verse 3 as a, as a person, as a young man who loved the Lord. And it was demonstrated, the Bible tells us, by his obedience, that he did what God said. So that's an important beginning If God's going to ask us what we want, it probably is smart for us to think about, are we demonstrating obedience? Are we demonstrating love for God by obedience? And a lot of people want to say, well, yeah, God knows I love him, but they don't take seriously that we show God our love by our behavior, by our actions. So Solomon demonstrated his love for God by his obedience. He went to Gibeon to make sacrifice to the Lord and it's described as the most famous high place, and he offered 1,000 burnt offerings. That's a lot of burnt offerings. So he was serious about honoring the Lord there at Gibeon. Now, it describes Gibeon as the most famous high place in Israel, and when you first read this, it's really curious because you kind of wonder what's going on at this high place. It just If you know the story of the Bible a little bit, you kind of get the idea that this isn't really what should be happening. So let's make sure we understand what's going on here at the high place at Gibeon. Well, high places in those days were hilltop open air shrines where Israelites went to worship, and they went there prior to the building of the temple. And remember, if you know the story of the Bible, if you don't, Solomon was the king that built the temple but it hadn't been built yet. So during these days, before the temple was built, people would go to these open air shrines on hilltops and worship God, just as Solomon is described doing here at Gibeon. Now, part of the curious thing is that worship on a hilltop was a Canaanite practice, a pagan practice. And God always said to his people, don't do what the pagans do but it seems that they must have adopted something similar by using these existing centers of worship now we don't know whether the idol worship was going on at the same time but we are pretty sure that they used the same places and that that's why their legitimacy is really uncertain because we know that the law of god prohibited such things and god clearly had said to his people not to use pagan high places or pagan altars to worship God. So Solomon is doing that here, and it's it kind of raises a little bit of a red flag, but remember, it's framed by the opening verse, verse 3, that tells us that Solomon loved the Lord. So even though we know something isn't quite right, we do know that Solomon loved God. We also know that The continued use of these high places for worship led to apostasy and syncretism later in Israel, where they turned away from God and and worshiped other gods, and none of that was as God intended. That violated His commandments, clearly. It was roundly condemned. So we know there was a problem with this, but apparently at this point, God uh, maybe more or less looks the other way. And when that happens, I guess some of us are tempted to think that when we disagree with God, that God will look the other way. I would caution you not to go down that road, because when Solomon did not obey God, he paid the price, and we discover that later in the story. But let's not get ahead of ourselves. Let's just focus on what we're thinking about today and the beginning of Solomon's reign and how God spoke to him. So Solomon is at the high place at Gibeon the most important high place, the main worship center, I guess, of that time. He sacrificed there at the high place. And the high place was not too far from Jerusalem, but, it, but he did have to travel six miles north of Jerusalem to get there, to Gibeon. And it was there, after those sacrifices were made, that the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream and said to him, Ask, what should I give you? A stunning statement from God, one that we would probably never think. But I wonder what would we what would we answer if God came to us that way? I I really think we should we should think that through, because if if we think that through seriously, won't that affect the content of our prayers when we ask God for things? Now, I'm not saying you're asking inappropriately. Don't assume that all I'm suggesting is that God came to Solomon and said, ask, what should I give you? And he gives us permission to speak frankly to him. And we should be reverent enough in our respect for God to think about what would be our response, and what should we bring to God when we pray? Now, it's also true that this this is a really odd kind of situation. I mean, really odd. Who would have ever imagined that something significant like this would take place in a dream? Well, in those days, what they called an incubation dream, or I guess I should say what we call now an incubation dream, was a common practice. Individuals or groups would travel to shrines like this one described here in First Kings chapter 3, in this case an open-air shrine on a hilltop, They would travel to these shrines and make offerings to the God of that place. Now, it's interesting that God had clearly established that his place was the Ark of the Covenant. The worship center was the tabernacle. So it's really kind of interesting that that Solomon goes here, but apparently that had been a practice. And so because it was the main high place, apparently they were honoring God there in spite of the obvious problems with that. So individuals or groups would go to these shrines, they'd make offerings, and then they would sleep before that altar in hopes of a dream message coming to them from the God of that place. So Solomon is sleeping there before the altar, hoping that God will come to him and give him a message, because obviously Solomon recognizes, believes that God is the God of that place. And of course, The other side of that is God is the God of every place, but let's not get too distracted by that. Now, these are also called sometimes legitimation stories, and they play a role in establishing the legitimacy of a king. In some respects, in this story, it it appears that God was expecting Solomon, and it's real interesting that Solomon admits that he's inadequate for the task of being king. And he requests that he would have a wise and understanding heart. And of course, God grants that request along with riches and honor. And then Solomon goes back to Jerusalem where he celebrates with a festival of Thanksgiving. So those are elements of the story that we can understand. But probably the most important thing that ought to stand out to us in this, well, maybe not probably, is that this story's role for us and in Scripture is much more theological than anything else. And we need to really grasp what it tells us about God and about Solomon and about Solomon's role in the kingdom going forward. So God asks Solomon, what would you like to have? What can I give you? And Solomon replies that God has shown his faithful love to David. Now that phrase faithful love is used in the Christian standard Bible. And we're reminded that That concept of faithful love, as it relates to God and God and David, is a reference to the covenant and the faithfulness that God showed in the covenant. David wasn't always faithful. He violated what God had expected him to do, but God had always shown his faithful love to David, and so Solomon reminds God of that. Solomon reminds God that that he loved David because David walked in faithfulness and righteousness and integrity. Well, those are big words, and those are big concepts, because when it comes to the concept of faithfulness, Solomon is saying David was faithful. He was trustworthy. He was dependable. He was a constant uh, person fixed on God. There wasn't any, um, how should we say, double-mindedness, maybe. He was firmly convinced to be faithful to God. Solomon re- responds further, that David was righteous, that he adhered to what was required. And we sometimes get a little, um, how should I say, intimidated by the word righteous. But right, right here, what it means is that, that David adhered to what God expected, followed the standard God had established, like a moral standard. Now, David wasn't perfect in that, but Solomon describes him as righteous, that he was honest, that he was just. And lastly, he says that David walked in integrity, in uprightness, that he was who he thought he was, and he was who he said he was, and he followed God according to God's expectation and God's standard for him. And then Solomon kind of continues by saying, God, you showed your love for David by giving him a son. Of course, he was referring to himself and how his son, David's son, became king. So here's Solomon, presents himself to God. God comes to him and and is talking to him, asking him what he wants. And so Solomon responds by recounting the faithfulness of God to David and how he had been kind to make him now Solomon king. And Solomon goes on to say that he's really young and he doesn't quite know what to do. He's inexperienced and is feeling his inadequacy. Now at this time, Solomon was probably about 20 years old. As near as we can tell, that was his age when he became king, and so while he understood that he was king, he said to God, I have no real experience leading people. I'm not sure what to do, And, and there are so many people. So Solomon says, what I need, or please give me a receptive heart, one English translation says. Give me a receptive heart. Another one says, give me a discerning heart. Another one says, give me a hearing heart. Well, it's very clear that, that Solomon is asking for something significant. And in all of these descriptions, there are, there are connotations that help us. And, and a big part of that is that Solomon is asking for help in leading and, and guiding the people and administering justice and ruling over them. And that's, that's clearly in the context of all of this. It's clear that that Solomon is asking for the ability to understand true testimony and false testimony because he would have to administer justice and have to be able to figure out who was telling him the truth. It was clear he, he wanted the ability, and that comes through in this receptive heart idea, the ability to, to listen to God because he wanted to hear what God had to say. And he also expressed in all of this—and and it's much more of a concept than it is specifically in the words, but he expressed the idea that he wanted to be able to hear when people spoke to him so he could make wise decisions. There's embedded in all of this the sense that he needed to have the mental horsepower to do this job, and particularly the ability to discern good and evil. So all of this sense that I've described here as part of what Solomon was praying for, we generally use the the simple term, and it's a good one, that Solomon asked for wisdom. But it was more than that because when it talks about, and when the English translations use the word heart, remember that that's really referring to the totality of a person's being. So it's his thinking, his feeling, his deciding, his view of God, everything that makes him up, Solomon is asking to be that kind of person and one of the interesting things that that comes out of this is the sense that that in all of this Solomon realizes he needs to be able to reason things out and be able to develop his thinking so that he can do what he needs to do as king we might call that applied knowledge or there again we're back to that same word wisdom but that's what Solomon was asking for big challenges he faced and he asked for, Big help from God. Well, as you know, from we just read the story, God liked that request. That request pleased him, and the Lord acknowledged that, but he went on to say, you know, Solomon, since you didn't ask for long life or wealth or the death of your enemies, but you asked for discernment so you could administer justice, God says, I will give you that. I will give you discernment to administer justice. But I also give you a wise and understanding heart. You'll be wise like no one before you or anyone after you. And God gives him and then some after that request. So in in one summary that, that I looked at, they described it as Solomon receiving four things from God. Wisdom that he asked for, of course, but God also went on to, to give him riches and glory, sometimes referred to as honor in the text. And he gave him a long life if he was going to be faithful, and there's a question about that. So, God says, In addition to the wisdom, you'll have riches and honor. As long as you live, no king will be your equal. And then he puts a conditional promise in there if you obey, I will give you a long life. Well, we know from the rest of the story that Solomon did not remain obedient, and he died about age 60. We don't know how long he might have lived, but clearly he didn't live up to that ideal, and that promise was not fulfilled in the way it might have been. Well, Solomon woke up from the dream, realized he had had a genuine encounter with God, returned to Jerusalem. Interestingly, he went to Gibeon to to seek God and this message that he received, but he goes back to Jerusalem, and now he stands before the ark, what we might call the Ark of the Covenant. There are different descriptions for it. He stands before the ark, and he offers offerings there in Jerusalem. Now, we know that God had said from previous times— that he dwelt where the ark was. And so why Solomon went someplace else is a little confusing, except that it was common practice, and maybe they were doing the best they knew. Clearly, God has shown us better since then. But he goes to Jerusalem, stands before the ark in the presence of God, we would say, offers additional offerings, and then has a Thanksgiving feast for his whole household quite the story quite the challenge would we would we um ask for wisdom god came along and asked us you know i i was thinking about that and i i was thinking you know a lot of times god what i would pray for because i've been around a lot of churches i'd pray that that we'd have some resources we need more money we need the ability to accomplish things and and it takes a hundred dollars to do a hundred dollars worth of ministry and we need help with that. But then God reminded me, he said, now don't forget here that, and research has shown this. He said, if my people, if the people who think I am King would tithe their income, their increase, the church would have more than enough to solve all the problems of the world and be an amazing testimony to people everywhere. So I was a little chagrined that God said, uh, be careful about asking for money. The money's been provided is in the pockets of the people. And I don't know about you, but I think you ought to consider that if you're asking God for money, how have you handled the money God has given you? Have you put him first? Because that's what people a lot of times will pray for. They'll ask God for help with money and um, they don't stop to think. How has God already provided for them and are there things more important than money? Ask anyone who's wrestling with illness and they understand the limits of money. Ask people who have wrestled with the death of a loved one and they understand the limits of money. So we too need to need to give that some careful consideration. And, uh, I'm kind of thankful that God reminded me, uh, I still have to admit, I would sure like to have a lot more resources to get a lot more done for the kingdom's sake. But at the same time, I have to realize that God provides in the way he provides, and he can accomplish things that don't seem to require money. Imagine that. He can give us opportunities. He can work out his kingdom come, his will be done in ways that we don't expect. And maybe I should, and maybe we should together. Pray more that God would give us wisdom, that God would help us know how to make good decisions, that God would make us a little bit more like Solomon, so that we can live lives that, that demonstrate that there is a God in heaven, and that he helps us in ways we can't imagine. And maybe we need to trust God more with the details, instead of making things that God doesn't think are quite so important the focus of our attention. And please don't hear me say that it's not important for you or anyone to have the ability to support themselves, the ability to buy food for their children, to be able to provide for themselves and their needs. That's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is, wouldn't it be important for the people of God to realize that we need to put God first in every area of our life, including our money, and instead of tithing by paying our car payment or the cable TV bill or the credit card payment, we would get rid of all of that superfluous debt and put God first. Just saying we need to think about that, because God clearly understands and is able to give us more than what we need, and He has clearly outlined what He expects of us. So where do we go from here? One of the questions we ask when we look at the Scriptures is, so what? Well, so what? What if God ask us, what can I give you? Worth, worth thinking about. I would encourage you to spend a little time this week letting that rattle around in your brain. But there's more here going on, and I want to talk about that, and I want to encourage you to, to hang with us. We're going to take a break in just a minute, but we're going to take a look at, at the story of Solomon from a little different perspective, the story of, of Solomon from the point of view of an elected official. And I want us to wrestle with the question, What should we expect of our elected officials? What personal qualities should we expect from them in light of Solomon's story and in light of his interaction with God? If this is more theological than than a story, if the story is meant for a theological purpose, then we ought to unpack that and see what is it that God is showing us. Now, I know some people say, well, you can't mix the Bible with elections or politics or anything else. Well, let's talk about that. Let's think about that. You take a little break along with me. Hang in there. We'll be right back in just a minute. And we're going to talk about this business of elections and officials and how that needs to work in the kingdom of God and and what we can learn from Solomon. I'll be right back.
1: Let's get real. Let's get loud on America Out Loud. Talk radio. This is the McCullough Report. Are you looking for better sleep, focus, and energy? Check out Healthy Cell, the leading innovator of nutritional supplements for cell health. Most vitamins haven't been upgraded since the 1930s. Healthy Cell uses an innovative technology, which is a gel pack that pro- provides a better absorbed vitamins and nutrients where they're needed the most. I just took a Healthy Cell today before I went out and exercised. And I can tell you, I am working hard for America Out Loud radio as we speak. And tonight, I am looking for good REM sleep. And I can tell you, I am tired, and I wanna fall asleep, stay asleep, and sleep deeply and wake up refreshed with Healthy Cell. Um, I'm gonna use the Healthy Cell REM sleep supplement. This is the only sleep supplement designed to support all four stages of sleep. So go to healthycell.com and use the code OUTLOUD, all capital letters, and get a 20% off for your first order of any product. I use Healthy Cell and I'm really glad that I've been introduced to it. So I recommend it for you. Again, go to healthycell.com and use the OUTLOUD uh, code, promotional code, for a 20% off your first order. Let's get real. Let's get loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. This is the McCullough Report. at americaoutloud.com
0: liberty and justice for all welcome back i'm pastor rick stevens and this you're listening to is called faith is where we develop our faith in god and we learn from the bible so that we can have stronger confidence in God's trustworthiness. And I'm really glad you've joined me. I'm really glad you've stayed with me after I've mentioned that we're going to talk about a subject that sometimes makes the people of God nervous. And I want to take away some of that nervousness. I want to help us think about that, maybe in a way you haven't before, so that we can come to grips with our important responsibilities as the people of God. We've been talking about the story of Solomon and his experience when God came along and asked him, what can I give you? And Solomon responded and God gave him a wise and understanding heart so that he would be able to lead the people well. And I suggested as we finished up the first part that, that we needed to take a look a little differently at this story and and ask ourselves what we should expect of our elected officials. I think we should think about this when it comes to candidates. How do we evaluate candidates? This is one way we ought to think about that. Uh, I think the primary way. What personal qualities should we expect from our elected officials? And and we want to use Solomon as a model for that. Well, before we get in that, I want to give a shout out to my church, Diplomat Wesleyan Church in Cape Coral, Florida. Our people understand the importance of being good citizens. We are not afraid to talk about the issues that some people call political, because we think the issues are biblical, and we want to talk about all of the things that concern all of us from a biblical point of view. God has given us wisdom, same as he gave Solomon. Maybe we don't have enough. Surely we don't have enough. We always need more, and certainly we don't have as much wisdom as Solomon had, because God said no one would ever have as much who came after him. But I'm grateful for people in my church who take that stuff seriously and don't find themselves intimidated, but they get involved because they realize that it's our community, it's our country. So we want to take a look today at this business of our elected officials. Now, I had a real interesting experience earlier this week. On Monday of this week, I began working uh, maybe a little bit before Monday, even maybe a little bit on Sunday, I began working on this message for this coming Sunday and for this podcast and radio program. And by the way, if you haven't subscribed to the podcast, you can find the Faith is podcast wherever you get your podcast. So please go ahead and subscribe to that. Tell your friends. Well, I was working on this and I had it reasonably well in hand. I had a good idea of what I was thinking about and where I might be going by the end of the day on Monday. Tuesday started early. I had a couple of appointments and the second was a meeting that I've been attending with some regularity. They just started it's it kind of a coffee time with elected officials. And you get a chance to meet them and the sheriff was there the first time and the state attorney, the mayor of one of the cities here where I live and this last time was another elected official. And I'm acquainted with this gentleman. And we have had conversations off and on and and I talked to him as I went in. He was standing there, and we talked a little bit before I went and got a cup of coffee and went to sit down. I sat down kind of in the back of the small room where the meeting was held. And all at once, I saw him step out from where he had been standing, and he, and he spoke to me and called me by name and said, so what's Sunday's sermon going to be? And well, I knew what Sunday's sermon was going to be, and I knew we were going to talk about what to expect out of elected officials, but I was kind of thinking, okay, well, what do I say Uh, here? Everybody's listening because by then, because he had spoken, the whole room paid attention. And so I kind of paused and smiled and thought to myself, here goes. And so I looked up and I said, well, we're going to talk about what we should expect from our elected officials based on the life of King Solomon. And he responded quite well to that. He, he is a follower of Jesus. So I didn't expect that he would, would respond otherwise. And, uh, he thought that was quite interesting and, and expressed interest in knowing what I would have to say. So maybe he'll give this podcast, this radio program, a listen and find out. But anyway, uh, that was, that was one kind of experience that I don't usually have, and that was really kind of, uh, kind of interesting this week. It certainly got my attention. So let's talk about that. Let's answer the question a little bit. And uh, we may not answer every question you think of. i never expect that I will, but I hope we can just kind of think this through and come to some better understandings because we, the people of God need to get involved. And, and, you know, the first thing I need to say right up front is if you are not participating in the life of your community, at the very least, if you're not voting. I want to say to you, you have a responsibility before God to at least vote. And I think we should all get involved more. So I want you to take that seriously. I know people say, well, I'm of a different kingdom. I get that. So am I. But God has put us here wherever we are, and he's expected us to be salt and light in every area of our community. And there is no area of life that God ignores. And I know with a certainty, because of what I've seen what I've experienced, that if the people of God will not in, get involved in the life of their community, will not in, get involved in the political process, will not get involved and engage with their elected officials, the people who have evil intent will, and they will have influence, and they will get what they want, instead of God getting what He wants. So let's take that seriously. Let's take our responsibilities seriously, and not, let's not give Let's not give any ground to anyone else. Let's say by the mercies of God, we are going to work in every area of life so that his kingdom can come and his will be done. So with that, let's take a look and think about why should we use Solomon as a model? Well, Solomon was a model because God gave him the gift that he requested in order for him to be the king and so he was fulfilling a political responsibility. God gave him a wise and understanding heart. Another English translation says was a wise and discerning heart. Still, another one says it was a wise and discerning mind. Well, God gave him what he needed to lead the people, and remember, when it says heart in many English translations, we should think totality of our being. When it says mind— It's more than just that. But we think of heart as emotions and mind as thinking. But really, the idea is that God wants to help Solomon here. God gave Solomon the ability in the totality of his being, his thinking, his emotions, his reason, his judgment, his decision-making, every part of that he gave Solomon wisdom. And no one before or since had as wise and a discerning mind as Solomon did. That was quite the qualifier— for leading the people. That was quite the qualifier for a political office. Now, two qualities stand out when we begin to look at, at the story of Solomon and what God gave him. And the first one we've used the word often is wisdom. And wisdom comes, as the Scriptures teach us, from the fear of the Lord. And the second quality is discernment. And discernment comes from knowing God. That comes from Proverbs nine ten. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. So right there is encapsulated what God gave to Solomon because he gave him wisdom and he gave him understanding. The ability to see what he needed to see, to grasp what he needed to grasp, to decide what he needed to decide. Now, we know from Psalm 14:1 that the fool says in his heart, there's no God. We know that the psalm later explains and helps us understand that the fool rejects God. It's a philosophical decision to live his life as if there is no God. That's what the Bible calls a fool. By contrast, in Psalm 14, we discover that wise people seek God. So we're tracking consistently with the scriptures when we think about the two qualities that that we need to think of as qualifiers, wisdom and discernment. Now, wisdom, according to the proverb I just read, wisdom comes from the fear of the Lord. Now, that fear of the Lord, as you probably know, is not about being frightened. It's about a profound reverence for and respect for God. It's the realization in one simple way that God is God and I am not. It's a realization the wise person has that that when we come before God, we are accountable to Him for our behavior. And I don't think it's at all inappropriate for us to look for candidates for public office and look to the people who hold public office to have a profound reverence and respect for God and to realize that they are accountable to God for their behavior. That includes their personal behavior, and it also includes their official behavior. They are accountable before God. You know, sometimes I get this sense that that people are reluctant to expect that of public officials. And I realize we aren't electing pastors to office. Don't don't misunderstand that. But if we, the people of God, are convinced of the reality of God, doesn't it make sense that, that we should expect the people we elect to reverence God and respect God, realize their accountability to God? You know, sometimes today I think we're all too secular when it comes to public life. And and God is ignored or compartmentalized somehow. And we need to consider God, including His counsel, in all of the things that we do. We need to follow His guidance and His commandments. That's how He has shown us we need to live. And that includes us personally, that includes our churches, that includes our families, and it includes the people that we elect to office, that we should expect them to reverence and respect God for that is wisdom. If we want them to be wise, then wisdom starts with the fear of the Lord, profound reverence for and respect for God. Now, people will say, well, hold on a minute. Doesn't that violate this idea of separation of church and state? And the answer, short, sweet, easy is no, not even close. The concept of the separation of church and state has been so twisted from the original event that triggered that phrase when Thomas Jefferson responded to the Danbury Baptists and assured them that the government was not going to bother them, it was going to leave them alone. And so there would be a wall of separation to keep the government from bothering the church. That's as it should be. That's the guarantee of our Constitution. What the separation of church and state means truthfully and legitimately, is that the government needs to leave the church alone, and in fact must leave the church alone. It does not restrict including God in government or in thinking of what God's wisdom is when we make decisions. It does not keep the church out of the public arena. The church must always speak truth to power. So the first thing that we learn from Solomon's encounter with God and God's gift of of help for him to be a, a political leader is that our candidates for office, our office holders should have wisdom that comes from the fear of the Lord, a profound reverence and respect for God. Second thing that really stands out to me from looking at this is that they need discernment. And discernment, the Bible tells us, and we read that earlier, comes from knowing God. In the story of Solomon, we read that Solomon needed and was given discernment to understand good and evil. And the idea behind that was that he could make good decisions. And we need people in public office who will make good decisions. Now, when I began participating in some of these things and meeting some of the men and women who, who were running for office and later held office, I would sometimes ask them, and it wasn't out of reluctance to ask, it was just out of how the conversation would go sometimes, I would ask them about their own moral authority. What was the moral authority they looked to when trying to decide something was right or wrong? Well, I thought that was an important thing to understand, Um, and I didn't ask it as often because they caught on real quickly because they knew I was a pastor, and so they knew they needed to say the Bible. So I've had to think of other ways to try to discern what their moral authority is. But, but discernment and knowing God, that's a foundation for a, a moral authority that helps us know right from wrong, good from evil. So that discernment comes from, from knowing God, and you can't have that sense of, of choosing the right things without knowing God. Also related in this idea of discernment is the ability to think, and that's something we should expect from our office holders. One of the emphasis that John Wesley brought to our understanding of following God was that, that we needed to be able to use our reason and think things through, and so we need to expect our office holders, our candidates, to be able to think things through. And wrapped up into what Solomon needed to be a good king was the concept that, of patience to listen to the people, because he had to be a judge and to make good decisions when so- something was presented to him. And so he needed patience to listen, listen so he could tell who was telling the truth, but also listen so he could make the wisest of decisions. And if I've heard of once, I've heard it a lot of times. People today say, well, the people that we elect to office, they just don't listen to us. Well, I understand some of the dynamics of that. Just because you speak to one of them or send them an email doesn't mean they're going to do what you say. Maybe they should. Maybe you're exactly right. I'm not questioning that but they are bombarded by many inputs, and we do need them to listen. We do need them to hear from us because they work for us, but we also need to keep engaged so that they will get acquainted with us and know that they can trust our judgment, know that they can trust our behavior, that we're not setting them up, that we're not trying to expose them inappropriately, but that we want to listen To what they have to say, and we want them to listen to what we have to say, and we want them to make good decisions and do what's right. I don't think we can emphasize this idea that, that we need to discern in our candidates and we need to expect in our elected officials that they know the difference between right and wrong, that they have the right moral authority that will guide them so that they know what God says is right and what God says is wrong, and they'll act on that. And really, when you think about it, if if all of the people we had elected to public office over our lifetimes had done what God says is right and avoided what God says is wrong, we'd be in a lot better place today. So I don't think this is inappropriate at all. We need to help people understand that. And the other reason that that's important is because every decision that someone who has a public trust makes, or every vote that someone makes, whether they're a city council member, a county commissioner, whether they're a state representative or a state senator, maybe they're a representative or a senator in Washington. It doesn't matter. Maybe they're a governor. The decisions they make are based on their understanding of right and wrong with a side of political expediency, which is why we need them to focus on right and wrong, because we expect them not To be politically expedient, we expect them to do what is right. And we need to monitor that, encourage that, and discern that in our elected officials. So, brief summary, what we've said from the story of Solomon is not terribly complicated. It can become more complicated. But just to begin, thinking through this, the idea is that we need our public officials to have wisdom that comes from the fear of the Lord from a profound reverence for and respect for God. That's where they get wisdom. And we needed them to have discernment from knowing God, knowing who God is and how God thinks and what God says is right and what God says is wrong so that they have the right moral authority. And so they can make good decisions based on that moral authority. So now I can hear a few people saying, well, you've talked about those kind of things and that's good, but what about the issues? We thought we should be focusing on the issues because they're going to make decisions about education policy or in our area of the world, water policy, or they're going to make decisions on taxes. Are they going to raise taxes or lower taxes? What about the issues? Don't I need to know about the issues? And the answer is yes. The issues are important. There's no question about that. A candidate's issues or, or a candidate's position on the issues matters. In the same way, someone who's holding office and they have a position on something that matters too. Now, just because they have a position doesn't mean that position can't be influenced or changed, but the positions on the issues matters. But I think we need to think, go a little deeper than that when it comes to evaluating candidates during the electoral cycle. Yes, I want to know their positions on the issues that are important right now, but I also need to always remember, and I want to encourage you to always remember, that no matter what, there will always be issues that surface after an election while someone is holding that office. There will be things come up that were never talked about during the election uh, campaign cycle. There will be things that come up that nobody expects to come up, and they will have to make decisions. So what I want to encourage you to do is, as you're considering a candidate's position on the issues or an office holder's position on the issues, use that position on those issues to determine, does this candidate respect and reverence God? That's the wisdom we talked about that Solomon needed and God gave him. And so we ask, based on the position that they have on these issues, do they respect and reverence God? consider tax policy. Do they respect and reverence God? Because the Bible talks about tax policy and the importance of, of not taxing people too much. And that's just one illustration. There, there are others as well. And I want to encourage you to think about, does the position on that the candidate takes, does it respect and reverence God? And does the position the candidate takes demonstrate that the candidate knows God, has a real well-grounded understanding of right and wrong? Do they know God so that they can articulate this is right and this is wrong and they can defend that? See, that matters because they're going to have to decide. There's no middle ground when it comes time to take a vote. It's either yes or no, and they have to decide whether what they're voting on is right or wrong. Candidates don't like to have to be that clear about things. I've, I've been around them enough to know that that they like to explain things one way or another. I get it. Some of these issues can be complicated. I'm not naive about that. You are not either, but at the end of the day, they have to decide to vote yes or to vote. No. So I want a candidate and I want to look at their positions and hear what they say. And I want to know, are they clear enough that I have an idea that, that they know God that they know right from wrong. Very important. Absolutely significant. Every decision, every vote, everything comes down to right or wrong. And they have to have the wisdom that demonstrates that they fear the Lord so that they will respond in the way that God is guiding us and has shown us is right. And in order to make that decision, they have to have discernment from God. Really, really significant stuff. So I want to really challenge you as you you exercise your civic responsibilities, and I want to really encourage you to. It's a cop-out to say, no, I'm not going to vote. I'm going to ignore all of that because I'm from a different kingdom. That is entirely a cop-out. God has given us the gift of liberty, and he expects us to be good stewards of that gift. And so why wouldn't we be? Why would we... Push that responsibility off onto someone else? Why would we ignore that? Why would we not engage the process? You know, Abraham Lincoln said that our nation is of the people, for the people, and by the people, and he was right. The reason we have what we have is because too many people have stepped back instead of stepping up. And it seems like to me that it's time for the people of God to step up and not step back. And when we begin to think about what are the qualities that God shows us in the life of Solomon, it becomes easier to sort out. Now, I I don't expect that we will ever find perfect candidates. One man told me some years ago, no matter how much you like a candidate, no matter how convinced you are they are the right man or the right woman, they will always disappoint you. Well, I thought that was a little bit of a cynical view. I didn't doubt him because he had been around a lot longer than I had. And I've come to understand what he means by that. And it, it doesn't have to be quite as cynical as you might think. But what it means is that we're going to have disagreements. And I might elect someone, vote for someone, and think they're going to be a great person and they will do a fabulous job. But I know that at some point, something's going to come up and I may disagree with them. And I just have to deal with that. But if I look for the qualities that God has outlined here in his gifts to Solomon, wisdom, a profound reverence for and respect for God, that's where wisdom comes from. Do they have discernment? Do they know God? That goes a long ways toward helping me say, okay, I've made a good decision. Maybe they made a, made a bad decision, but we're going to work together from there because we're all going to live in the fear of God. And make decisions that honor God. Well, I hope some of this helps today. I know it's kind of a different approach to things, but it's really critical, and the people of God really have to step up and take responsibility. So I want to encourage you to do that. Sign up for the podcast, listen to that, tell your friends to join us next week, because we'll be back again where we're going to help each other stretch toward God's high calling, because faith is absolute confidence in the trustworthiness of God. And we can trust him. I'm Pastor Rick. I'll see you next time. Bye.